This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. Happy New Year. In this episode, Samir Singh and from FNE and I continue our conversation to offer our five predictions which will rock the Asia landscape in 2017 and examine the road ahead after a turbulent and unpredictable 2016. Welcome back and it's probably the new year when you hear this podcast but actually we recorded it in 2016 which is last year but of course I have my good friend Samir Singh, Industry Analysis Director from App Annie, and of course we just talk about the five big events plus some bonus events here and there for to close 2016. So now we want to go into the predictions that's coming on in 2017. I think we got it pretty well covered with our last set of predictions last year. Damn, I forgot. I wish I just go and do a checklist, but this time we will do one. So I want to look at the this year's five predictions that will come this year. So I'm going to start off with the first one, which is probably the most interesting one is. Well, with what Masayoshi Sun had promised Donald Trump, I mean, 50 billion may just allow SoftBank to merge T-Mobile and Sprint into one and create, I mean, I don't know whether it's create or destroy new jobs for the US economy. So that may be the first line item I think is going to happen. I'm not as sure about this one. So here's my here's my reasoning, right? So SoftBank spoken to Donald Trump, they've assured 50 billion in investment, new jobs, etc. Now T-Mobile's market cap right now is about 46 billion and looking at T-Mobile's trajectory versus Sprint if you want to acquire T-Mobile you have to pay a good premium right so that's going to take you probably at least 60 billion and it's not necessarily going to add job do you think that's guaranteed to happen given that's what it's going to take not sure because he has done the same with um they bought it at a premium so I mean if you can pull out something like that I'm pretty sure that he may just break the bank anyway according to what was filed I think the SoftBank investment fund is 100 billion yeah, so a good chunk of that is going to go into T-Mobile. I think if SoftBank is okay making a few other in- job-creating investments in the in the US to keep Trump happy, then it's probably realistic. I know they've wanted to merge these two companies for a while. Sprint's not doing well. They're extremely debt-laden. Merging them would at least help from a company operation perspective. T-Mobile was the first company to launch financing plans, and since then, the trajectories have been dramatically different. It's definitely worth the risk. This is more of a risk in my mind than ARM. ARM, you, you know the business was safe. It's more of a risk, but I mean, it's it's probably worth it. I think this is probably interesting with what SoftBank has done with ARM and going into the US market. They have not been very successful with the US market. So this particular gap with T-Mobile and Spring merging into one will be something that I would look forward to see in 2017. The second part, which probably we will take up most of our conversation is Asian messaging apps versus Facebook what apps part two. We want to talk about WeChat's mini apps versus Facebook's chatbots. So I'll let you start by talking about the mini apps. I think that was the most interesting announcement from WeChat you know, in a long time. So basically what's happened this year is Google's announced something called Instant Apps, which isn't out yet. What it does is it allows you to load apps in fragments. So the moment you click on an app, on a link to an app anywhere on the web within another app, whether you've downloaded or not, it would load immediately. So it it behaves like a web page, even though you have the app experience. Obviously that's tied to Google Play services and Google Play services aren't available in China. So that gave WeChat an opportunity. So what WeChat's done is they'll launch something called Mini App, which is basically scaled down. It doesn't change existing apps like Instant Apps does, but 
it allows developers to create scaled down versions of apps that you can access from within the WeChat app directly without downloading them. Usually it's via a QR code, which works in China for some reason, doesn't work anywhere else, but it works in China. Now, this is very, very important. Both of these, so instant apps and mini apps are very, very important for industries where apps aren't used very frequently. Travel, for example, I mean, how often do they use a user travel app? Airbnb would use, be used once in three or four times a year. Other travel booking apps, airline booking apps, for and, and, and even some kinds of retail apps, apps for specific retail stores. If you walk into a store, you, want to, you might want to access that app. A lot of that becomes very, very powerful with WeChat's mini apps. And what that also does is it, it starts disintermediating the third-party Android stores in China. So at a certain point, if WeChat becomes the de facto discovery channel for everything. I mean, this is two years down the line. It's not now. But that could basically, it could obviate the need for third-party app stores themselves. All you have to do is go into WeChat to access your apps and services. You don't need an app store. Now, that's very, very different from what Facebook is trying to do. So, Facebook is doing chatbots, which they bet big on. So, I don't know what is the value of chatbots, but I haven't heard a lot about the apps really leveraging on chatbots. So even if they want to come to Asia with their messaging app, I don't think it will work. It's definitely not going to work in Asia. I am extremely skeptical of it working globally as well. So Facebook launched them earlier this year saying that chatbots were going to replace apps things like that of that nature there's been a lot of talk of conversational commerce as an entity right where you execute commerce while typing in your chat interface now that's not a strong value proposition and i'll tell you why so what you're doing in conversational commerce is basically replacing a graphical user interface with text input that's not less friction that's more friction and the very existence of apps like uber dd any sort of food delivery app those apps exist because Instead of talking to someone on the phone or on an online chat, you could just tap a few options on your app GUI and it's done. So you don't have too much mental load. There's a couple of options on your screen and you tap them. The moment you need to type something out, there is mental load on the user. You need to figure out exactly what you want to say, what you want. And that's one reason why I don't think conversational commerce is going to take off in any meaningful way. I think chatbots have potential where they can replace conversation where it already exists. So customer service, if you want to talk to a retailer, if, if you had an issue with something you've bought, you want to talk to your bank. These are still situations where you need to, need to pick up your phone. That's where, I don't know if it's chatbots, but that's where messaging apps can help. At this point, maybe chatbots are only good enough to send you notifications when you've booked an, uh, booked an airline ticket. Maybe they're only intelligent enough to route you to the right customer service representative that you want to chat with on, let's say, Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp. The advantage of messaging platforms there is that they're asynchronous. You can type out your query when you have the free time and get back to it again when you when you're free. That's usually how messaging conversations uh, carry out. They can last multiple hours or through the entire course of a day, as opposed to taking time out from your day, picking up the phone, calling and waiting online. Which makes me also wonder, what are they doing with WhatsApp? I think it's very silly because they should have just cloned WeChat for WhatsApp. I don't think that would have worked. And that would have worked. I don't think it would have worked. I think it would have worked in East Asia. I definitely think it would have worked in East Asia. We're lying in Kakao Talk. Yes, it would have worked in East Asia. Unfortunately, WhatsApp is a global app, right? So it's used in India, it's used in Europe, it's used in Brazil. You can't create an app that's going to work only in a particular region and not work in the, in the rest of the region. You need to make sure you have a solution that works everywhere or at least in your core market. It's a massive risk for WhatsApp to become like WeChat. And this is something we talked about before as well. Because that cultural dimension really exists, the multiple features that Asian users ask for does not work in Western markets, does not work in India, and that's a really important market for WhatsApp. What they're doing right now is merging, they're trying to, to at least merge Facebook pages and WhatsApp. And the reason for that is simple. Businesses use Facebook pages. You need to be able to create a connection between businesses and users on WhatsApp so that you can have that B2C communication, so that you can take care of customer service, you can take care of after-sales service, right? And that you can either create an entirely new business channel on WhatsApp, 
which means businesses need to get on board again or you can just merge Facebook pages which means you're ready to, uh, from the word go. But that's my point which is basically if Facebook just put the Facebook pages like WeChat's public accounts it's exactly the same thing. They just basically need to dumb down the Facebook pages similar to the WeChat's official accounts and basically the deal is done. So all that's the integration they need for WhatsApp. No, I think it's a lot more than that because what WeChat has done is they've basically pulled Facebook pages into WeChat, right? You can buy a coffee in WeChat. That's not what I say when I say when I'm talking about merging Facebook page uh, pages and WhatsApp. What what Facebook is doing is merging Facebook page data with WhatsApp data. That means the the users or you the Facebook pages you already follow on Facebook, you need to be following those channels on WhatsApp from the word go, right? All it does is. It should just create a WhatsApp channel. Let's say you're following McDonald's on Facebook. All it needs to do is create a WhatsApp channel for McDonald's and you automatically follow McDonald's because you're following them on Facebook. That's what they're trying to do. And if you want to order the food, you just press a button and order this. No, no, I don't think that works. Again, that's going back to conversational commerce. I don't think that works. I don't think that's going to work in Western markets at all. It's going to be, let's say, maybe McDonald's was a bad example, but if you have had a problem with your burger, if you're trying to find out where the retail store is, for some reason, if you don't have Google Maps, maybe a better example there is a retail store. If you're already following, let's say, Muji on Facebook, you should be following them on WhatsApp. And let's say you've bought something from them that's defective, or you, you want to get in touch with them and find out if they have a particular item in a particular store, then you message them on WhatsApp, and then you find, uh, find out, instead of calling them up. What's going to be the state of messaging apps in Asia then? I think they're going to go down dramatically different paths. WeChat basically starts becoming the de facto distribution channel and completely obviates the need for third-party app stores in China. Mini apps become, slowly start becoming the way people access apps. At, at least in 2017, it's going to be apps from the travel vertical and from the retail vertical. Those are the two ones I'm looking at. And I think something similar will happen for instant apps as well. Those two verticals will probably have the first layer of adoption. Facebook, for its part, I don't think chatbots are going to take off in any way. I think if they manage to launch B2C messaging, that will have a good impact on their business over time. B2C communication becomes more relevant in customer service and after sales context, especially in retail. You know, one interesting prediction I want to make is actually Amazon's first foray into Southeast Asia. And this is actually sets up a very interesting battleground between West and East. And one thing is also very interesting is if you observe what Alibaba has been doing, they are acquiring companies to be part of their distribution channels. They did that with Lazada indirectly with Redmart. And you see Tencent going into India and invest in Hike. Alibaba invested in Snapdeal in India and in Paytm through M Financial you start to see a, a much more fragmented aggregation approach versus a US company like Amazon going directly into that market with Amazon India and Amazon Japan. And they basically hit out the local players and now they're going to try in Southeast Asia. That's a very interesting point in terms of as a prediction. Where do you see this battleground and different philosophies between the West and the East? For one, I think this battle is going to look different in Southeast Asia than in India. In India, Flipkart and Snapdeal are basically running out of VC money to spend, while Amazon has money from cash flow positive businesses in other parts of the world. Right. So similarly here, while Rocket Internet was funding Lazada, they only have li a limited amount of money they can spend. But the moment Alibaba acquires them, Alibaba is making a ton of cash in China. They can use that cash to fund some of this battle because no matter how much how expensive this battle gets, it's going it's not going to come anywhere close to how much money Alibaba is making in in China, right? So in that sense, I think this competition it's much more competitive. Like it's hard to pick a winner here between Amazon and let's say Alibaba's acquisitions. In India, it's very easy to pick that winner. Now, in terms of how this shapes out, 
the reason for this i think is pretty similar and it goes back to that interface design perspective the moment alibaba has to needs to launch an app in the west it needs to be completely specific to the way western users demand their the user interface faces look like they basically have to launch an amazon in the west that's going to be expensive it's much cheaper and more effective that way to just acquire and fund an existing competitor in those regions right which may, it makes com- complete sense from alibaba's perspective but it also makes sense from amazon's perspective because they don't need to do that their user interface their front end design their logistics network the way they've built it out already works in other countries except for specific east asian countries and they're not really going to enter those countries anyway maybe at some point if they want to enter in those countries they try an acquisition but i mean the way alibaba is dominant in some of those countries is going to be hard So I think there's this divide between East Asia and the rest of the world. If you want to cross that divide you need an acquisition. If you're staying in the same part, same side, you don't need an acquisition. So you think that there is this Southeast Asia plus India versus East Asia. So there is a different strategy for different yeah. parts of Asia. Man. Yeah. That's an interesting insight. One more prediction is basically the remaining of after the DD acquisition of Uber China which is Grab and Ola. Do you think we will get into a consolidation phase? Yes, I mean the DD Uber deal in China was just the first shoe to drop. I mean when I when we say consolidation this could doesn't necessarily mean acquisitions it could be company shutting down as well. I'm not necessarily saying that all of these companies are going to be acquired. Maybe some of them will. You might see car companies acquire some of these companies. You might see Uber yeah just say okay the valuations low enough I'm going to buy them out now. But I don't see a path long term where all of these companies are sustainably competing with each other. because the problem is they've got too much funding which means they're all go- always going to try and undercut each other with subsidies no matter what happens but i think they're also moving into different business models i see grab is moving into mobile wallets and ola is also trying different things there may be other things at play as well depending on market conditions but i don't think that it will work just like you i'm as pessimistic as you are i mean this it's not only ride sharing companies doing this right flipkart is doing this flipkart's spun off their delivery business to serve other e-commerce companies which is a good idea when there's a lot of other e-commerce companies but the, when the industry is consolidating who do you sell to amazon's not going to use your network so it is pretty interesting because it's like a domino effect thing like once dd fall now the rest of it can they hold yeah and i i think a lot of it will come down to when uber wants to ipo because the problem is if uber has to ipo their financials need to look sustainable that means they can't be subsidizing their rides and if that happens these other companies will immediately start subsidizing their rides right so they need to be out of the picture or at least they need to come to some sort of understanding before uber can ipo So I think that's the red line. Once Uber is close to that limit, all of these dominoes will start to fall. I think we haven't got to the fifth prediction, but I thought the short form and live video one is interesting. So what are you going to predict in Asia? I mean, live casting is very dominant in China. Yeah. Live streaming. Where is it going to go? So one thing we've seen is that short form video is picking up both in the West and the East. It's different kinds of short form video. For example, in the West, it's all YouTube. In the East, it's these specific kinds of live streaming apps where you can tip tip the broadcaster and things like that. The time spent in those apps is just completely exploding. Appani had some sort of report that came out a couple of weeks ago that touched on that. We mentioned that in our predictions as well. One thing we expect is that short form and live video are going to overtake long form video uh, because it really fits mobile and and the way people consume bite sized chunks of uh, information on mobile. So normally if you're watching a t- a 30 minute TV show if you're if you're watching it on your commute you might watch it from 1 minute to 10 minutes and then when you come back to the app you have to start it from 10 you can't start you can't start watching a different show right you need to finish that you you'd, you'd want to finish that that episode first now in short form and live video those constraints don't exist because you can jump into one video start watching finish watching and leave because that's only that's only a couple of minutes if it's a live video there isn't really a specific narrative going on 
So you can jump in, watch a live video and leave at any point. So that sort of consumption pattern fits mobile very, very well. And as mobile screens and smartphone screens have gotten bigger, that's played into what these apps really do. I think we're going to see some of that hype shift from subscription-based premium video completely into short form and live video. What about the voice assistant hype that is fading and also smartphone augmented reality then? Where do they go? Well, voice assistants, in, in many ways, I see voice assistants today as I saw wearables back in 2015. In this case, there's actually a value proposition. I'll divide it into two, right? One is voice assistants in the home, which is your Amazon Alexa and your Google Home. One is voice assistants on your phone. That's Google Assistant and Siri. Now, after Google Assistant, especially, there's been a whole lot of hype around the fact that voice is the way you're going to interact with your smartphone going forward. Voice is the way you, int you interact with apps going forward. I don't see that work. And now I do see that voice searches are going to grow as a percentage of overall searches. That's going to go up. But as a percentage of overall smartphone interaction, that's not going to go up. I mean, it's it's in the range of 1% to 2% right now. It's going to stay roughly within that range. And that's because a smartphone is used everywhere, right? There are not too many people that are going to be comfortable speaking to their smartphone in public. And on top of that, habits have been set. Once people start using a product in a specific way, it's very, very difficult for them to start changing, for you to start changing that habit. And even in the PC era, we saw this, right? So PC, the PC was the first major wave of tech that we saw. After that, it was the internet. But when the internet came on board, you interacted with the browser the same way you interacted with the PC, which was keyboard, mouse, and the graphical user interface. So the way people use their PCs didn't change. The only thing that changed is what the capabilities of the PCs were. And if you want a new wave of after mobile that's built on top of mobile, it needs to utilize the same interaction model, which is in this case, touch and graphical user interface. Voice, again, as a percentage of searches will grow just because it makes sense in, in, in certain situations, but people are not going to move to voice and mass. And that's that hype is just going to, going to fade. In-home voice agents, which is Amazon Alexa and Google Home. Again, sales are going to grow, but mass market adoption really depends on how much these devices can do. And a lot of this depends on IoT taking off as a whole, which means you should be able to control your home appliances, you should be able to control your curtains, your doors, your lights. The replacement cycle for those units is very, very long. So that this is going to be a very, very long adoption cycle. It's not going to happen in 2017. You're going to see a, the hype for these devices as well will come down a bit in, in 2017. I don't think it'll completely fizzle as it, it, as it will for voice assistants on the phone it will come down quite dramatically as you see that sales aren't taking off the way people expect it. And thank you for taking a time out to actually have this conversation. And I guess what would be your first thing happening for you in 2017 then? It's hard to say. 2017 is going to be, in, I just hope no countries get destroyed. Okay. And how can my audience find you? You can find me uh, on Twitter at Samir underscore Singh 17. You can find me on LinkedIn or on the Appani blog. And I also write on my own blog at tech-thoughts.net. You can find me at bleoncw or at bernaleon.com. Subscribe to us at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and TuneIn. And of course, Google Play in the US. And of course, drop me a comment and leave me a message. And of course, if you are going to use Zencaster, which I use to do my podcast, you can actually get a promo code of AnalyzeAsia20. A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia 20. So Samia, once again, thank you for coming on the show. Not a problem.